All right. Hey, I'm here on Words First Marketing, where we have conversations with story brand guides and marketing folks about how to do better marketing. We dig into kind of the deeper issues, some of the complexities of how to implement your marketing and specifically using story brand principles. And today I'm talking with David Lillard, and he works with a lot of manufacturers. And so we're going to talk about what does it look like for folks in kind of the industrial manufacturing space to implement story brand what are the challenges? Uh, what do you need to know if you're in that space? So, David, welcome. Thanks, Matt. It's uh, it's great to be here with you. Give us just give us a little bit of a background. What do you do? Who do you work with? And what's your company? Absolutely. About? So, uh, David Lillard. I'm co-founder of Spartan Branding. We are a marketing agency that provides strategy, content, digital marketing for uh, old customers across the U.S. But uh, a lot of customers are in the manufacturing or construction space. And so we spend a lot of time with manufacturers, industrial manufacturers, anyone working B2B, creating products that, uh, that help move our, uh, our industries. Great. So, all right, here's the question. What's the, what is like the big problem for manufacturers when it comes to marketing? What do they struggle with most? If I were, if I were to sum it up, I would, I would say it like this. Um, I think a lot of manufacturers lag behind other industries in the way that they go to market. Uh, you know, really specifically, they they market like it's 1995, uh, and so for them, practically, that means uh, they have trade shows they're going to. Uh, they may have a website that hasn't been updated in five to ten years. Uh, they have print ads that are going into trade publications, and then they have salespeople with flyers and spec sheets that are running around trying to generate leads the old-fashioned way. They're pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, trying to create cold leads, and so. They're just not leveraging all of the digital marketing opportunities out there. Or if they are, they're doing it kind of haphazardly without any intention or strategy behind it. So, yeah, maybe if they, if they have a marketing department, it's more like sales enablement. It's there to support the sales team, but they don't really expect much from marketing. Something that I've, I've seen with some clients kind of in that space is a lot of them have a a really solid salesperson or a sales team, but they tend to be like an older generation of sales folks. And they're still, it's still working because they have the networks, they have the relationships, but they know as their salespeople retire, they have to replace that with something and they don't have a similar person to step into that role. And so they're now thinking about marketing, but they're not really sure what they should be doing for marketing. And they especially don't know what's going to work for them when it comes to marketing. Is that a yeah. fair description? Yeah, of what I agree hundred uh, percent. We often work with that role that's called VP of sales and marketing. And I put marketing in air quotes because most of them are just, they're salespeople, right? And they've been successful at sales. They're probably good at sales management if they're keeping their job. But they have no experience uh, when it comes to marketing. And marketing really is just sales support. That's what it is. You know, this is what I need to sell. But they're not thinking about it from a lead generation standpoint. They're trusting their salespeople to generate leads instead of trusting marketing to generate leads that their sales team can close, which is, you know, it's a, it's a paradigm shift, right? And so, yeah, you've got this, this aging sales force that does it the old-fashioned way, uh, which is not the way that most people do business moving forward. You know, in, in, in these industries, we have younger and younger people with the purchasing power, uh, the decision-making power. And they do things differently because they've been trained by the way that they buy, right? When we buy a pair of shoes, we don't want to talk to a salesperson. We want to go online and buy. Uh, 
for mm-hmm. some reason it just lags behind and, and especially in manufacturing we think just because it's a more expensive product it has to be done this way it has to be done this way and it's just not true you know it, we see time and time again that using marketing to generate leads and just letting your salespeople be really great at closing is far more effective than just letting salespeople loose and running around. Yeah. Well, I, things have obviously changed since 1995. Mm-hmm. I think I was reading that 70 or 80% of decision makers now are millennials. And those are not young people. I, I'm i a millennial. Same. I have friends who have kids who are going into college this yeah. year, right? So it's, you know, it's people in, in their careers, but they are digital natives. Uh, and they're doing, mo- they want to do their research online. They want to do a lot of that a lot of that buying cycle happens before they talk to a salesperson, and so they don't they don't want to get on the phone. We're you know we're we're tech savvy, but I would say uh, phone call averse <laughs> yeah, yeah. in in a lot of cases, right? And so the the buyers have mm-hmm. changed, um, and so the way that you go to market and that you sell needs to change and adapt as well. But I think what's happening is a lot of these companies are are left in this kind of in between two stools situation, right? Where they're still relying on an an older kind of sales tactic, and they're trying to get into newer marketing tactics, but they're not fully committing or they're not doing the marketing well, and so they they're really hesitant to actually lean on this marketing mm-hmm. system because they have no guarantee that it's going to work. Right. Yeah, they haven't seen the signals. They don't really trust it. They're relying on an old system, not yet trusting a new one. Yeah, I think that, and, and I agree with everything that you're saying. Um, what they struggle with is knowing what they should be doing, right? I mean, they all have shiny object syndrome when it comes to marketing. And again, it comes back to, I'm not, I'm not trying to you know, talk down to them. It's just their experience is sales, right? And it's the way that they've always done things. And so there's all these new marketing tactics that are coming out. And you, I mean, you, you can't look for look at LinkedIn for more than two minutes without seeing a guru telling you exactly what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And so you see something that that you think could, could work, or someone else in your industry says, "Hey, we're doing this," and you give it a shot. But if you don't know how to strategically plan to do it, and then test it and validate it then what you're going to do is you're going to take a swing at it. It's like playing whack-a-mole, right? You know, some marketing tactic pops up, you swing at it, uh, and it either hits and takes off, which doesn't happen very often when you're just testing something the first time, one time, or they just move on to the next thing. And they say, well, that didn't work. I'm going to move on to the next thing. And there's no intentionality behind what should we be doing to get our marketing to generate high-quality leads that our sales team can just focus on closing and closing and closing. Yeah. So what when it comes to those tactics and we're going to we're going to get back to talking yeah. some story brand stuff here in a second but I I think there's there's levels, right? You've got your foundational stuff which I think the story brand framework and those principles getting your messaging right, having clarity and all that is super important. And then you move a little higher and you're thinking what are those lead gen tactics like what are the channels and things that you're that that you're promoting your message and getting it out there when when it comes to manufacturers what are some of the main kind of avenues that you are seeing that that work or that that folks are using uh right now yeah i I think it's content marketing strategy and that's not too different from Mm -hmm. from most other industries but most of the manufacturers i work with they're very light on customer focused content 
they have a lot of technical data. They've got spec sheets on everything. Uh, they have CAD drawings. They're ready to talk to engineers. Uh, they're not ready to talk to, to customers, uh, people that are using the product or just making a decision. Uh, and they're focusing so much on the features and not the benefits. And that kind of customer-centric benefit content, that's what they need to be focusing on. We take a look at websites, and they're so shallow. Even if, they're, even if they've been designed within the last five years and they're up-to-date and they're responsive and all those things, they're so shallow. They've got a ton of pages and tabs, but they're all 300 words or less, and they're not doing them any favors <laughs> from, from Google's standpoint or customers because for customers it becomes a choose-your-own-adventure book, right? Like they're, they're trying to figure out what the story is, what the narrative is, yeah. and they're just bouncing all over the place, and then they leave because they're frustrated. Yeah, I sometimes I think about it as like when you're not when you're not clear and you're not painting a picture of what success looks like, the benefits, all of that. It's like giving someone a connect the dots book and all they see is mm-hmm. dots and you're asking them to like draw the picture in mm-hmm. their own mind. But also none of the dots have mm-hmm. numbers on them. So you're just trying to guess that like how, how these things yeah. fit together. And we know what that's going to do is it, it confuses people and they disengage. And I think that's especially true the higher level of like technical expertise that might be needed or if you're if you're dealing with you know anything that's a highly technical field it gets more confusing and I think a a thing that a lot of so people who are working in manufacturing companies owners the head of sales a lot of them have an engineering or a technical mm-hmm. background and so their idea of their customers is that they're at a really high level of sophistication mm-hmm. And that might be true, but people even who could understand that level don't, that's not the level that they buy mm-hmm. at. When they're in their research phase, they're not going to sift through, like you said, CAD drawings and technical specs to figure out if this works. They want those quick hit, like, understanding, does this solve the problem that I have? If so, you know, maybe it's going to make sense to move into those conversations to figure out the details, you know, with, with a salesperson or with a, some, some engineer on yeah. their team. Yeah. I think yeah, there's, I think there's so many stakeholders when it comes to manufacturing clients. Uh, you know, the sales process is very different. If you and I want to go buy a shoes, it's, it's, we're deciding if we're going to buy a pair of shoes. Maybe we have a partner that we have to check with first to make sure we can clear the money. But otherwise, it's a pretty simple process, right? When you're talking about selling a product, you know, that's $50,000 and has to be integrated into another system, all of a sudden there's a bunch of different people that have to get involved. Uh, even at levels of, of technical expertise, they're experts in different things. You know, so they're not an expert in how a grease trap needs to operate for your commercial kitchen. They don't know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, They know about plumbing. They know that. They know all about plumbing and and all of the different code that they need to follow. But they don't know grease traps, and they certainly don't know the particular grease trap that you manufacture. And so there's differing levels of technical expertise. And so if you just hit at the level that you know, you're assuming, just like you're saying, you're assuming that they understand everything and half of it could go right over their head and you're missing the opportunity as opposed to taking a step back, thinking of it from a, what do they want? What problem do they have and what, what solution are we providing? And now we're getting into story brand. Uh, if you start there, then it's, it's different. You're not listing out features. You're talking about benefits or solutions to problems. Uh, and that's, that's a big mm-hmm. shift for a lot of companies. Yeah. 
Okay, well, let, let's take it there. Let's go kind of back to StoryBrand. You and I have both been StoryBrand guides for a while, worked with a lot of clients. I've worked with a couple folks in the manufacturing space. You've worked with a lot of them. What when you approach a brand script or you're working on messaging with a manufacturing client, what do you find are kind of the, the sticking points or the or, or maybe the holes that if you're just if you're auditing the marketing and the messaging mm-hmm. of a um, of a manufacturer in general, you know they really need to flesh out this kind of piece of the, of the puzzle using story brands. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's one of two, and I already touched on one, which is you know if your founder and and the CEO is an engineer, they can get really obsessed with features. They they can get really obsessed with what you know what your particular widget can do. Um, mm-hmm. They get they excited do. about yeah, that, absolutely. Actually. They get really excited. <laughs> uh, you know, back of napkin uh, like a mad mad person mm-hmm. uh, excited. And and so they get so excited about what they could do with it, they they don't stop to ask if it's actually what customers want, or if it's solving an actual problem that they have, you know. And and so that's one is is they they start at the at the wrong end, right? They they create this product without asking themselves, cool yeah, product. do people do people actually need this? Is this solving a problem, or are we just increasing the cost of the product for no reason whatsoever? Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one side of it. The other side would be trying to narrow down what problem, what specific problem they solve for their customers. Uh, and we were talking about salespeople yeah. earlier, and, and salespeople are really great at sitting in front of a customer, asking the right questions, finding the holes, finding the problems, and then positioning their products against that to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. Our marketing can't do that on the fly. Right. I mean, we have some. I mean, we're moving into dynamically generated content on websites, but most people's websites are static, and you've got those three to five seconds to grab someone's attention, make sure they understand what they're seeing is what they need to see, or they're going to bounce. Yeah. And so, when it comes to story brand, it's it's helping them narrow it down to what is what is the problem, uh, and and yes, you solve a lot of problems. You solve problems for different industries, perhaps, in in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. But what's the one that's going to catch the most of them? What's the one that's going to resonate with eighty, yeah. you know, eighty five percent of your customer base? Um, and and if you can figure out that, it makes everything a lot easier. And of course, you can umbrella all of your brand scripts to hit your different products and services and industries. But figuring out what that high-level umbrella language is is probably one of the toughest things that they have. You know, it, it's not just manufacturers that do this, but one of the easiest ways to go wrong with a website is not making choices. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes you land on a website and it's got that scrolling or changing mm-hmm. headline where, like, every three sec- seconds it rotates into a new headline. And so I, I come from, like, the web design world. What that is doing is someone lands on your website and you're teaching them to not pay attention to whatever copy mm. they see because it's going to change and they're yeah. going to forget it. And so even like anytime you're trying to say too many things, you're actually undercutting all of them. And that's a, I do think that that actually is a huge challenge for a lot of people who, if you ask like, what problem do you solve? Well, every client has a different problem. So we solve mm-hmm. all of them. Okay. What do they, what does each client want? Well, everybody wants something different, narrowing it down and then and making mm-hmm. a choice. Now, and I, I've worked with clients where we've we've narrowed down and we've made a choice, 
and then we've tested it and we've decided actually that's not quite right. We're gonna we're gonna shift it mm-hmm. a little bit. Because you said a website is static, but it's not perfect, yeah. right? You can work on your messaging, you can make a choice, and making a choice is a better that's a better mm-hmm. decision than trying to like do too many things at at once. You can change it. That's that's the reality. But you do have to have that like what's that one problem that we're gonna solve and it's both kind of getting broader sometimes to say like what's the big picture problem and also narrowing it down to say but we're also choosing one thing that we think is going to resonate you don't want it to be to fall flat or be you mentioned shallow earlier you know i think that idea sometimes we we hit hit on that so okay so choosing that problem you mentioned the sales sales guys are really great at kind of adapting and reacting in real time but you got to choose that problem. A thing I found also is like the simplification piece of it. This is maybe this is going back to a little bit of what we were talking earlier. Um, the spec sheets, the the CAD drawings, the like super technical stuff. There might be a place for that on say a website, but it's not usually the right. front page. It's not you know top level. What let's just think like websites. What what are some of the common problems that you see with manufacturing websites when you first when you first start working with someone? Especially? No, I think you're touching on something there because so many uh, manufacturers do have a lot of technical information, right? And and so they've got spec sheets, uh, they've got CAD drawings and technical drawings. Um, they may even have how tos and how you know how, how to install this here and how to put this product with this product. They got so much technical information. What I hear a lot of is, well, we've got to make sure that that's all accessible immediately, right? It's all accessible immediately. And so what you see in the navigation bar from that is 50 different links or 10 different drop-downs with you know, 40 links on each one, a ridiculous amount of information that's overwhelming to people. It makes it really difficult for them to find what they need. Uh, and the truth is, you know, a, a customer or someone who is that deep in there to say, I want to use this product and now I just need the technical data. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're going to go the extra mile if they can't find it immediately and probably reach out to somebody. They're probably going to jump in the live chat. They're probably going to email someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they'll call. They're going to reach out and try and figure it out. Who's not going to figure it out are the people who are coming to you fresh and they haven't decided what they're going to buy. They don't need to see your your spec sheet yet. They don't need to see it. What they need to see is themselves, their problem, and the way that your product or service is positioned to to solve that. And so, to your point, I, I think it's the the complexity, uh, paradox of choice issue, where we're giving them so many options that they're paralyzed and they want to they want to bounce, uh, as opposed to telling them. We understand what you're going through. This is the problem, and this is the solution right here, and this is what you need to focus on. So, so making it um, making it more prospect friendly, I think, making the website more prospect friendly and not uh, post sale technical engineer uh, leaning towards those people. Yeah. What what does a what does a plan usually look like for your clients? I, I'm sure it's different, somewhat for different clients, but what what does that look like with some of the clients you've worked with? I'm a big fan of strategy first, and I think there's a lot of things that we could do for customers. Uh, I like telling people what they should do, and that's not with 100% certainty, but uh, it, it's certainly with a degree of expertise and understanding of what they do. 
telling them these are the things you should focus on. And so when I sit down with a manufacturer and we're talking about their marketing, I, I usually will, of course, ask some questions. But ultimately, what I'm getting to is they don't know what's working and what's not. They're doing things because they've always done them. They take their marketing plan, which isn't really a plan. It's a budget. They're taking their budget, marketing budget, yeah. <laughs> and marketing budget is not a plan. Uh, and they're just copying and pasting every single year and doing the exact things over and over again without any understanding of is it generating leads? Is it helping you nurture uh, prospects into clients? Uh, is it shortening your sales cycle? And so, you know, the first thing I want to do is I want to sit down and look at what you're doing to figure out, you know, where are the missed opportunities? What are you not doing that you should be doing? What are you doing that you're absolutely wasting money on? Uh, you know, I worked with, with one manufacturer, and they were doing radio ads, and their clients were a very specific audience. They're utility and gas mm-hmm. plants. And uh, I'm sitting there thinking... There's just not enough of them listening to the radio. Yeah, you're you're putting up a radio ad that's hitting, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 people, and you're trying to catch one person there. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just a waste of money. And so I want to look at what's working and what opportunities are you missing out on, and then we're going to put together a plan. Uh, And usually, you know, I like to think from from my days uh, running marketing for a manufacturer, I like to think in, in, in a year in a calendar format. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at, okay, this is what we're gonna do in month one. Month one, we're gonna focus on this. We're gonna focus on foundational issues, website, uh, marketing technology. What do we need to clean up uh, with what you have already? And then shift into how can we start to add some of these other tactics in and test them, see what's working, and then double down on those things. Uh, so yeah, strategy first and then moving into execution. One thing that I'm seeing a lot these days is there are a lot of options. There's a, there's a thousand ways you can spend your marketing budget, and every agency has a hammer, and they're trying to make sure that you recognize your problem mm-hmm. is the nail, right? And so there are some, I think this is especially true for manufacturers, there are some clients where like a keyword SEO strategy makes a ton of sense. People are looking for a specific product. You have a, you might have a narrow audience, but they know what kind of problem mm-hmm. they're solving. And maybe there's not a ton of competitors in the space. If you could rank higher organically for some of these keywords, it's going to make a lot of sense. Uh, there's other products where people just don't know that they have the problem that your mm-hmm. product solves. And so no one's searching for an answer to that yet. And so you could do all the keywords that you wanted, but if people don't already understand and have like some demand related to this product, they may not find their mm-hmm. way there. So I think having a good marketing strategist on your team who's not married to a singular strategy, someone you can work with who can help say like, this this is gonna work for you and this is not gonna work for you and they understand the difference rather than someone who's just 100% focused on like, well, I have this one service that I offer and I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell it to you uh, is, is really important. I know you spend a lot of time kind of as that strategist role when you're working with your clients. Are you working with CEOs, like the, the salespeople? What do those conversations look like and, and how are you helping to guide them in, that, in those circumstances? Yeah, I love what you were just talking about because it's a big part of what we actually do. So usually I'm, I'm sitting down with the you know, executive team, oftentimes sales and marketing, 
Uh, and sometimes we get into operations a little bit. It kind of depends on how their teams are built. Mm-hmm. But what you were describing there is a key part of what we do. So we think about an ideal customer journey. Uh, and when we think about it, we think about it as levels of awareness. And what you were describing, I would break down as problem awareness, solution awareness, and then product or service awareness. And people are dropping in at different points. And so when you were talking about uh, problem awareness, some people actually don't understand the problem they have. They understand the symptoms that they're experiencing, Mm -hmm. but they don't know what the root cause of that is. And so it really depends on where their customers are. So if their customers don't even understand that what, what they're doing is a problem, then mm-hmm. we've got to educate them on that. And so your content has to start much higher up the funnel. We've got to focus farther up there. Mm-hmm. If, they're, if they're not solution aware, so they understand they have a problem, but they don't understand these solutions, well, guess what? I mean, even then, you're probably not going to want to use a heavy keyword, key phrase search strategy because they don't know what to search for. You can, use, you can focus on problem phrases and maybe do that. But if you're mm-hmm. focusing on what you do specifically, it may fall flat because people just aren't searching for it. Uh, if you're lucky enough that your your customers are solution aware, then it makes it a lot easier, I think, because that's where a lot yeah. of that's where a lot of manufacturers sit. Is they know how, especially with all of the different testing that they have to do and regulations they go through, there are keywords and jargon uh, everywhere, everywhere, yeah. and they'd love to stick that in there, but they've got to make sure that their clients actually understand that first. Yeah. What typically how big what what kind of size sale for your clients? Are we talking you know these are $500 sales, $50,000 sales? What's that look like? Yeah, most of our clients are selling products that are several thousand dollars and oftentimes mm-hmm. they are packaged together into much larger sales. So we're we're talking uh, mm-hmm. deals that are 50 to $200,000. Uh, sometimes far more than that, but uh, a lot of the manufacturers yeah. are sitting in that space, and so it's a, it's a high ticket item. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. not buying something small. The decision making process is not going to be quick, uh, and so yeah. Mm-hmm. And most most manufacturers, we're not talking like B to C. They're not they're not manufacturing shoes and then trying to sell them um, to consumers directly. I, I'm sure there's some that have some of the clients I've worked with have have a piece of that but mo- their big their big sales are to like distributors mm-hmm. or other other OEM manufacturers building you know a, they build component parts they're putting them onto to bigger things like that is that is that what you're seeing most yeah, of the time Yeah well that's one of the things that I find so fascinating about marketing um or about manufacturing especially is that it's like an onion and you start peeling it back and there's all these different mm-hmm. layers you know I mean even a company that does light assembly they have other companies that are manufacturing the sub-assemblies. They have companies that are doing your injection molded plastic or your rotationally molded plastic, doing your circuitry. And all these pieces are coming together from other companies that are also manufacturers. And it's all going into this one product. And then you have this product that's probably going into a business. Uh, let's say, so I, I work for a grease trap manufacturer. I know it's one of the most obscure possible <laughs> companies <laughs> or industries to work in. But uh, even when we're doing that, there's so many different people involved. There's not one person who's deciding. You know, you, you have gatekeepers who decide what can and can't be used in certain locations. You've got architects and engineers that are figuring out how does this fit in with the other systems within the building. 
You've got the actual owner-operators who, who's going to be using it day in, day mm-hmm. out. And then you probably have some kind of general contractor or plumbing contractor that is actually going to install it. Uh, and so you've got all of these different people that are involved. And that's that's what I find so fascinating about it is it's not as simple. I'm going to put this up on uh, our website. I'm going to turn on uh, gram advertising and you know just let these small little sales come in. Uh, it, it's a complicated process that needs an intentional strategy. Uh, to communicate to all of those different people and understand all of their problems and how your product is unique, uniquely positioned to solve it. Yeah. You know, I, whenever you have multiple stakeholders or where, like, the person who may be experiencing the pain is different than the person making the decision, I think the thing that's great about the story brand framework and really approaching your marketing from, like, a words-first Standpoint is when you have a clear message, it makes it so much easier to travel up that chain or through those different stakeholders. Because if if the person who hears about the the product, maybe they're not a very technical mm-hmm. person, but they know it solves a problem, they can go to the technical person or they can you know talk to someone else, you know their peer group. They're going to share these solutions. As a business, though, you have to go through the work of clarifying that because people will use the words that you mm-hmm. give them to talk mm-hmm. about your product, and they'll remember the they'll remember your your company or your product based on the problem that you solve, not the features that are on you know your widget or whatever it is. And so you we gotta we have to define that, articulate it, and then post it. Like it's got to be out there where people can understand, and that makes it's. It, it's kind of like oil in the machine. Like it makes all these other things just move more smoothly mm-hmm. when you can get your words right. And I, I mean, you and I, we've both been doing story brand for a long time. I, I don't know of a better, like quicker, better, faster way to get to messaging. It's not to say that story brand is the only way to create copy for your business. But to me, it's like, this is a framework that we can sit down, agree on, and get to a solution like pretty quickly as as a company. And it's that kind of North Star that says, we're not going to go with whoever's like the loudest person in the room. We have a, a strategy that we can use that's going to get us to a destination, which is, you know, clear messaging. Right. Yeah, I, I, I didn't come up with this, but... I, I use the phrase, it's like putting handles on your messaging. Like, you've got to be able to hand it to someone else. And who hears mm-hmm. the message uh, may not be the person who makes the decision, like what you're talking about. But they may know the person that makes the decision. Mm-hmm. And if you hand them really clunky, confusing messaging, it makes it makes it hard for them to carry that to the next person, right? And so yeah. when you can use something like the Story Brand Framework to create clear messaging uncomplicated messaging, it's much easier for someone to take that, pick it up, and carry it to the person who does need to hear it. Otherwise, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to be lucky if they if they pass on the right message to the next person. Uh, and that's not what you want. You don't want to rely on luck or on someone's quick comprehension abilities to be able to explain it mm-hmm. to someone else. You want to give them the messaging that they can take to anybody. Okay, I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here. What, as you think about your clients, is there a like a message, like a, a headline or a one-liner that you feel like you're kind of proud of as your work as a strategist? As far as maybe, I mean, maybe we talk about your the grease trap client. Like, what's their, 
what's the problem that they that they solve? <laughs> that's a, that's an excellent question. Um, this was this was a number <laughs> of years ago, uh, but you know, I, I think that what they do better than anyone else uh, is look. Restaurant owners didn't get into the business to deal with grease and waste. That's not it. That's not why they started their business. They did it because they hopefully love cooking food and love delighting customers. It's a super weird, <laughs> it's a super weird restaurant yeah. owner who's like in, <laughs> who's love, in love with, with the waste, yes. <laughs> the byproducts of what they do. Uh, and so that's not why they got in the business of it. Uh, and so why should their day be filled up with dealing with something that smells bad and is a pain to take care of they shouldn't you know it should it should take care of it for them uh that that's that's something that i'm i'm really proud of and you know i I think that when you can get down to that that point especially especially if you can say that this is the superior alternative to everything else that you're trying to do Mm -hmm. uh, that's a really sweet spot to be in um, but to tap into the emotional feeling of, or, or maybe it's even the philosophical problem that, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't get in business to deal with grease. I got in business to, to make yeah. food and to like customers. So, Yeah, that's way beyond features mm-hmm. into those kind of like ideas. Uh, okay, two questions. How do people, how will people find and connect with you? That's going to be question one. And then question two is how, who are the right folks to be working, how how would a company or a, a person know if they should be reaching out to to you and your team? Yeah, so we love working with uh, with great companies who make amazing products and have fantastic teams, but just aren't sure what they should be doing from a marketing standpoint to scale their business. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, oftentimes, we're working with companies that have been successful in the past but have plateaued. Uh, because their mm-hmm. sales-driven organization just can't generate enough new leads for them to scale. Uh, and so we love coming in and just helping them use marketing to deliver those marketing-qualified leads so their sales team isn't out there just pounding the pavement. Uh, they can literally focus mm-hmm. on, this person is interested in our products, let me talk to them. <laughs> uh, and so that's yeah. who we love working with. Uh, it's got to be a company that, that, of course, wants to grow. Uh, there's nothing worse than talking with someone who really doesn't want to grow. So they've got to want to scale their business, uh, and they need to understand that marketing is an investment. It's not a spend. It's an investment, uh, and it does take an investment to generate return. Um, and so we, we love working with people who understand that and, and trust other people to, to help them find the right way. Uh, and, it, I mean, if someone's interested in working with us, they can always go to our website, spartanbrandingco.com. Uh, if they're interested in starting a project or just talking about uh, what problems they're experiencing, we love we love having those conversations and and mm-hmm. finding a way to help them uh, find the right way. Yeah, that's great, David. This has been a good conversation. I I I've worked with a few manufacturers. They're not they're not my sweet spot. We do some some web design and things like that. Um, but I would definitely say you know if you're in that if you're in that space and you need good advice you need to talk to someone who understands your business you should get in touch with david spartan spartanbrandingco.com um are you on linkedin or twitter or any of those yeah, places well i'm active on linkedin not so much on twitter most twitter i'm mostly bemoaning uh my poor carolina panthers that are terrible right now but uh <laughs> you probably want to avoid that and come on over to, to linkedin yeah <laughs> 
So unless unless you want to uh, to commiserate yeah. with David about the Panthers, you should find him on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Matt Banker. My company is Banker Creative, bankercreative.com. I'm on LinkedIn as well, so connect with me there. And uh, this has been Words First Marketing. David, thanks again for thanks coming for having on the show. Me.